Amen. Hello, Regen. Uh, my name is Wes, and I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from people-pleasing, anger, lust, and as of the last couple of weeks, the grief of sending my oldest off to college. Thank you. Thank you for that moral support. I've talked to a few of you that shared in that misery at that last thing, so uh, it's good. Hey, tonight we are going to continue uh, to look at uh, just the various struggles that we come into the room with, and specifically this evening, we're going to take a look at the vice of pride. Now, um, Eugene Peterson, in his classic book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he says this in talking about pride. He said, it is difficult to recognize pride as a sin when it is held up on every side as a virtue, urged as profitable, and rewarded as an achievement. So for just a second, I want you to think about like what comes to mind. So a little bit of word association, just silently. You don't need to shout out your answer. But when you hear that we're going to be talking about pride, like what immediately comes to your mind? What are the thoughts or the images or the, uh, the, the memories maybe that, that kind of come to your mind's eye as you think about that? Well, interestingly, I mentioned this to a friend last week that I decided that this was the topic that we were going to address tonight, and, and they responded by making comments about rainbows and parades, uh, which is not where my mind went, but my guess is maybe some of yours did, and my guess is probably if we just took a few seconds, that's where your mind would have eventually gotten to. And the reason for that is because we live in a culture today that is conditioning us to associate pride with virtue profitability, and reward, to borrow from what Peterson just said. You see, pride is something to not to, uh, to look at and to say, hey, that, that's not a good thing. Rather, it's something to be celebrated. We take the entire month of June and call it Pride Month. And the voices of the culture encourage us to celebrate and to promote pride and specifically to do so as an expression and advancement of freedom for a group of people who are just trying to be who they want to be. There's a desire for freedom of expression and casting off of anything that would hinder their ability to find their identity in their desires. Now, this is not a message tonight about uh, homosexuality or the dangers of it, and we should not be misled into thinking that pride is somehow a vice that only grips our friends who deal with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. Rather, that, that misperception of pride is in and of itself evidence that there's pride in our hearts. Because if we just limit it to this one particular issue, we, we don't fully understand pride. See, C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, he said this. He said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites, he said, in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil, Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. See, what Lewis is arguing here, and I think that he's right, is that whatever you might be inclined to put in your list of issues that you're battling in life and that you're seeking recovery from here at Regen, every last one of us could slide in pride into that list and it would fit. See, it's at the heart of the self-righteous battle that, that I face on a daily basis, of my pharisaical heart constantly wanting to compare my good behavior to the bad behavior of others. Uh, it's at the heart of the battles with lust and pornography, a belief that I should be at the center of the universe where everyone else is a slave to my pursuit of pleasure. And I have the ability to use you however I see fit because it, it really is just all about me and it's at, pride is at the root of that. 
Pride is at the heart of body image issues or depression or even suicidal thoughts where our minds simply can't stop thinking about self. Can't stop looking in the mirror either of our own thoughts or the physical mirror in front of us. And it's at the heart of our battles with guilt and shame where we've placed ourselves in the seat of judge, jury, and executioner, refusing to experience forgiveness and freedom because we've come to the conclusion that our sins are beyond forgiveness. See, the root issue of pride is the lie that says that my estimation, my thoughts, my feelings, my perspective are the rightful king of my life. What they say is law and where they lead me, well, those are my marching orders. So wherever those ideas lead me to, I've got to go there. In all of this, we hear the lie of Satan from the garden, whispering to Eve, did God really say, questioning his authority, casting doubts in our minds about the one who is the ultimate authority and the creator of all of us. And then convincing us, like he did Adam and Eve, that acting on our impulses and desires will make us like God. See, that's what pride leads to. So in the issue sheet that we have here at Regen for pride, we have a definition that just says this, that pride is a high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, and superiority. And so as I think about that, just an acronym that I thought of today for pride is just this, that pride is personal realization independent of divine enlightenment. It is this idea that I just need to realize who I am, realize what is really going on inside of me because that ultimately is the king of my actions, of my attitudes, of my heart, and that God and what he has to say, what he has illuminated for us in his word is not, has no bearing on my life. And so pride is this personal realization independent of divine enlightenment, where God is trying to speak into my life. Uh, I uh, mentioned uh, my oldest is off at college. I have four kids, and I've had the, the privilege and the burden of being a parent for now 19 years, coming up on it next week. And I've learned a lot in the course of uh, parenting, uh, mostly about myself. And it stems from just what we see in our kids at a very early age. My oldest, uh, when he was uh, real young, we were trying to teach him to ride a tricycle. And I learned very quickly something that frankly has marked my son's life his entire life, which is he doesn't need help from anybody. And he would just constantly, he was so frustrated as he was trying to figure out how to pedal this thing. He's a perfectionist and he couldn't quite get it right the very first time. And so he would just give up. And then dad would kind of try to step in and go, hey buddy, here's, you know, put your feet here, put your feet here. And he's like, I don't need you. I can do it myself. And I've watched that perpetuate in my now teenage uh, kids where I'm watching them go, hey dad, I don't need your help. I don't need your advice. I got this. Had a conversation with one of my children yesterday that was around that. She's like, no, 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 I know how I feel. I know what I think. I was like, yeah, but you don't know what it means. She, yes, I do. I could do it myself. And as frustrating as that can be, uh, frankly, as a parent, the reality is all it does is it illumines for me what is often my attitude towards the Lord and towards his authority in my life in the same way. I can do it myself, Lord. I can make sense of this world on my own. I I don't need your help. And all of a sudden, all of those sins start to fly in my face. So what is the remedy for the pride-filled life? Well, Philippians 2 paints a picture for us of someone who lived a 
a humble life. In verse five, these verses will be, or I'm sorry, in verse three, these verses may be familiar to many of you. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this remedy that we are looking for, we find in the person of Jesus and on taking on his mind, his attitude, that even though he had every right as God that he laid down, his rights for the sake of serving you and me. By being obedient to his father, even to the point of death and to taking that on so that we would have the ability to humble ourselves before him that every knee will bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord and acknowledge, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. I need you, Jesus. I need you. Robert Murray Machane has a famous quote where he says, for every look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. And that is the call of the remedy of pride is that when we are tempted, as pride often does, to look at ourselves, to see, uh, to, to believe that we have the remedy inside of ourselves, that we've got to take our eyes off of ourselves and turn them to this humble servant king who loved us and died for us. And so for every look at self, I, take, I wanna take 10 looks at Christ to pay attention to who he is, what he has done. Uh, this morning I was uh, with a friend who uh, I've just met in the last few weeks and his family owns a dairy farm. And, uh, and so I was asking him some questions and I asked him specifically, hey, can you explain the idea of why a cow chews its cud? And so this uh, gentleman who grew up on a dairy farm begins to explain to me in like very technical terms that I can't even remember all of, uh, the intricacies of how, how and why a cow chews its cud. So we know that cows have four stomachs. If you didn't know that, now you do. They have four stomachs. And so when they go in to eat, they take big old mouths full and they just swallow it whole and then they regurgitate it so that they can chew it. Sounds pleasant, doesn't it? I hope you didn't just eat, but that's what cows do. And then they chew that cud all the day long and then they'll swallow it back down. They'll regurgitate it again. They'll chew it. And the, the goal there is that they're just trying to get all the nutrients out of that feed that's there for them. And my friend was telling me that in his, on their dairy farm that every cow has a collar on that is synced up and monitored to the computers in their office. And what it does is it measures how many hours or how many minutes in the day that those cows chew their cud. And he said that what they know is that if that cow is not chewing 500 to 600 minutes a day, that that means that that cow is sick and they need to go check on it. And I thought about that in light of this idea that, man, you know what, this is something I've got to continue to chew on over and over and over and over again. Who is Jesus? What does he say about me? What is true of me in light of who he is, not in light of what I think about myself? And I've got to continue to, to chew on that over and over and over again, to drain all the nutrients out of it, to feed my soul so that I don't grow ill and sick in heart. 
So when pride tells me that the sin in my life is beyond the reach of God's love and forgiveness, I wanna take 10 looks at Christ on the cross, pleading with his father to forgive the people who crucified him and then telling the thief next to him that today you will be with me in paradise because as much as I am tempted to think my sin is too much, his mercy is more. When pride tells me to focus on my feelings of despair or depression or my estimation of the image in the mirror, I take 10 looks at Christ who heals the sight of the blind believing that he is able to heal my vision of myself and my circumstances too, if I'll just let him. So Lord, give me eyes to see. When pride tells me to use others for my benefit and pleasure, I I take 10 looks at Jesus who said that he did not come to be served and to cause others to have to serve his needs, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is my savior and there's freedom there. And when pride tells me to compare my spiritual resume to yours, to focus on all the spiritual activity I'm involved in and tempts me to say, thank God, I'm not like those sinners over there. I take 10 looks at Jesus sitting patiently at the table with the Pharisee Nicodemus, teaching him that he too, despite all the good that he was doing, all of his good works, all of his spiritual activity, he had no hope unless he was born again. And that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There is freedom in humility. And I want you to get to hear from my new friend Sue about the freedom that she has found as she has humbled herself before the Lord and dealt with the pride in her own heart. So welcome my friend Sue.